Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast here is your official source for a lack of insight and for basis opinions. Today is August 2nd, 2023, and this is episode 371. My name is Scott Magnus. And I'm Jake English. And on this week's show, we'll review the outcome of the trade deadline. We'll also lean into our millennial roots and we'll hand out some participation trophies. I don't recognize myself as millennial. I recognize myself as a Generation X. On purpose? I guess. But we'll do that right after we lubricate the show. It's time for the drink of the week. Jake, what are you imbibing on this evening? I am polishing off a six-pack of Corona Extra La Cerveza Masfina. In cans. In cans. Do you prefer them in cans? I prefer them when they're wet and cold. Okay. Uh, I've got a Coastal Cocktails Vodka Orange Crush. Vodka with natural flavors and carbonation. From Tarnished Truth Company. Apparently, they're based out of Virginia Beach. And so, how are we feeling about that? It's all right. It's not bad. All the good natural flavors? Yeah. I mean, yeah, all the good natural flavors that are, you know, it tastes like orange, but it's actually not from orange um, is the best way to put it. So if you want to know what we're following us uh, or drinking on a weekly basis, come check us out on Untapped. I'm at MEGN8606. I'm at JakeE4025. And with that, let's go on into the medical wing. So starting us off in the medical wing, uh, we're going to start with the number one prospect in uh, Major League Baseball. Which Nothing Jack- to worry about there. Yeah, Jackson Holiday, um, who is dealing with a ish, uh, an illness, a not specific illness, not a tummy illness, not a cold, not a flu, uh, not even the mumps, but just a just an illness, and he is day to day. The old man in me says that he's young enough that it might be mono. So you think he's been cursing girls? I, look, I'm not here to uh, cast aspersions. I'm just saying he's young, I'm old. Gotcha. Um, so he's day-to-day. He has not returned yet to the Norfolk lineup. Um, and it's been several days at this point. So something to kind of watch out of, uh, on. I think we can be fair to say that that will probably not affect the Orioles' playoff push. I don't know. You heard Michael Elias. He said he indicated that he wouldn't be surprised if Jackson Holiday makes an appearance uh, with the Baltimore Orioles at some point this season. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Cedric Mullins and Austin Hicks continue to be on the IL. No timeline for return just yet. I, I read that they could be back as soon as the next 10 to 14 days. But I, I from, kind of, from today? Yeah. I feel like that's a little bit of a pie crust promise, though. That's one of those, like, Lick your finger into the wind type of deal. I, well, I mean, based off of what Elias said, he said that he was expecting them for the majority of August. Um, so theoretically, you've got to appear before August 15th if you're going to be in the majority of games, correct? Yeah, yeah. But again, that could also be a, a situation where it's, uh, you know, rehab assignments will, sure. will start, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Austin Voth is back um, doing AAA rehab assignments. Um, you know, that's one of those bullpen arms that, you know, potentially could rejoin the organization and help out. I will not philosophically participate in him being in the organization. And and Michael Gibbons is also doing some additional work down in uh, the Florida Coast League right now. So he has a he, he's potential arm as well. Sure. Okay. And Keegan Aiken's down there as well. He can stay there. It's fine. And John Means 
you know, might give you something in August or September. I want him back now, immediately. And Dylan Tate is, you know, still trying to figure out whether or not he's going to have surgery or still, not. Still on a uh, milk can, uh, carton. Okay. So, yeah, you've got a lot of bullpen cavalry there um, willing to come up and assist this team um, onwards to their push to the playoffs. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Um, anything else we're missing from a medical wing standpoint? No, let's close the doors, lock it up. Nobody else in. All right. Let's go to 280 characters. This 280 characters or less this week on the X. That's, that's correct, right? I, I think so for today, at least until we're told we have to take it down. Our first tweet comes to us from Joe Paparato at Joe Papa. Ryan Mountcastle now has 38 RBI and an OPS upward of 980 in 46 career games against the Blue Jays. This is getting to the territory of like Glaber Torres versus the Orioles for those couple of years. He just mashes on the Blue Jays. Yeah. Uh, our next tweet comes um, from uh, Heather Lennington Noble. You can follow her at Elian Focal. Um, my mom just sent me this. It's open and mostly full. And this is a response to Justin Fenton asking a question. If Oriole Park at Camden Yards was opening the left field upper deck on Saturday evening, and lo and behold, they did. Um, and the Orioles had their first sellout um, on Saturday, uh, you know, excluding an opening day since I think it was 2016. All right. All right. That's kind of nice because, you know, we're not going to talk about this anywhere else in the show. So let's just dive in now. Good to do that in front of a national audience. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So the Orioles had a, a weekend series, uh, and one game was on Fox, and one game was on ESPN. Mm-hmm. I didn't see either one on television. So I ask you, how was the presentation of the national games? Uh, I thought the Fox game was terrible, honestly. Um, I, I thought the ESPN game was much more balanced, which is shocking to me um but the fox game you know it's amazing you know how much a last place team can be talked about (laughs) um but yeah the the fox game was not great um i thought the spn game was fine i didn't think it was great i didn't think it was terrible um i thought it was you know well received and um there were a few moments you didn't watch the sunday game at all i was at the sunday game so i couldn't watch the broadcast um so there were a few moments where they had um they had gunner um mic'd up in the Mm -hmm. third inning and they kept going to him um, and talking to him. And I kept thinking, and I know a bunch of folks on Orioles Twitter kept thinking of this too, like how distracting does that have to be to have someone talking in your ear while you're at shortstop and having someone like, you know, Gino Carlos Stanton come up who can put the ball at 110 miles per hour. Um, and it just seemed odd. Is the most of it. Like I've seen them do it before for outfielders and it makes a lot of sense. And I understand that Gunner is, you know, the star piece that they want to, you know, flash up there for the national, uh, national audience. But I was just like, I'm not sure I feel about this, and I want this inning to be over as quick as possible. I wonder if there has ever been a player mic'd up and talking to broadcasters mid-inning and made a mental mistake because of it. I I don't know if that's the case or not, but it just seems weird. Yeah, no, no, um, I, I hear you. They did also talk to Felix Batista while he was in the bullpen, um, completely in Spanish, which is kind of cool. And, of course, they translated it. Um, but, yeah, I thought that was that was fun. Uh, and oh, so then, we didn't have an ESPN uh, uh, debut of Q? No, we did not. Oh, bummer. Um, and then obviously, you know, you had Alex Fast with his overlays kind of popping up through the whole broadcast. And uh, You mean 
bird's eye view guest yeah. Alex Fast. And then, of course, you had Governor Westmore out um, with as Mr. Splash, or I guess it's Governor Splash. Um, but yeah, like I said, it was a, it was a good broadcast. I mean. I thought they did a really good job of kind of highlighting a few things here and there. I think they did a good job of kind of painting around the stadium and looking at a few things. Um, so in, in this instance, I would say ESPN did a better job than Fox. Hmm. Is that a thing? Sure. Okay. Okay. I believe you. All right. Uh, sorry. I, I, I wrangled away our this week on the X. Our next tweet comes to us from Boobinos. I, I can't make that up. Yeah. It's, Boobin. Boobin. OG. Because there's a new generation of boobins, apparently. <laughs> it's the OG boobin. Uh, Whit Merrifield reacting to Austin Tell Hayes. OGB, you know me. Game-saving catch. Inject this into my veins. Hashtag Birdland. Orioles emoji. Yes, this is a video of Whit Merrifield in the Blue Jays dugout looking on an iPad or, or some other tablet at that play, and then throwing it back to the bench in disgust. I loved this video. Yeah, this is like us Orioles fans uh, during, you know, the 100 lost seasons and being like, yeah, I want to watch this. Um, Our last tweet um, comes from Orioles Haiku. You can follow them at O's Poems. 17-9 in a month entirely against teams above 500 is pretty darn good. Um, and yeah, I think that's a really good way to put it. I mean, you, you look at the, you know, given, you know, performance and, you know, I thought back to this and I was thinking about it. I was just like, yeah, July was a pretty decent month, but I don't think it was like a great month. And then you look at the numbers and are like 17 and nine, um, best record in all major league baseball during the month of July, where they actually tied with the Mariners with a 17 and nine record. And it kind of puts it in perspective, like, all right, you're like, even when this team faces adversity, you know, like, like we saw during the Dodger series, they make up for it again by playing some really other good baseball. We talked about that in the last episode, um, and I think it kind of resounds going forward, and we'll, we'll talk about that around the bases. It's funny because we we made a lot out of if this team can just survive May. Sure. Right? Oh, this team did okay in June, but that's okay because they did so well in April and May. Well, geez, look at July. Not just coasting. Right. Mm -hmm. Not just sitting back in your laurels because you did well, but vastly improving against quality teams. Awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. So, again, July comes to an end. And with July coming to an end, so did the trade deadline. So we're going to go around the bases. We're going to quickly talk about the trade deadline um, and some other meaningful topics um, in this last week of July. When have we discussed meaningful topics? We'll on see. this show. We'll see. We'll see if we can participate at least. So, Jake, the tread deadline has come and gone. Um, it was as of August 1st, 6 o'clock uh, p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Obviously, you always have a little bit of a carryover um, for the last 30 minutes. Um, and it was a roller coaster ride through the entire weekend. Um, you know, the Orioles were associated with a lot of names. Um, and um, yeah, it was it was definitely an experience. Again, for, for so many years, we've in essence been perennial sellers. And it's more of a question of like, what can we get for one of our best players um, and who is going to still be left on this team at, at this? And this was a little bit different where it was, all right, the Orioles are 
the number one team in the American League. Um, they are the second record in Major League Baseball. They've got a plethora of prospects. They can, in essence, go out and get anybody they want. Um, and again, the Orioles' names were floated out pretty much in any single individual, including you know a few weeks ago, even Otani, at a certain point. Um, so quite a different experience and quite a roller coaster where I know everybody was kind of refreshing frantically um, <laughs> every few minutes to see like. What are the Orioles going to do? What are the Orioles going to do? What are the Orioles going to do? And, you know, up until the very last few minutes, and I'm really talking like 555, the Orioles were not doing anything. Um, And then the announcement was made that the Orioles went out and got Jack Flaherty from the St. Louis Cardinals um, starting pitcher. Jake, everyone has talked ad nauseum about this on Twitter um, the various talking heads have talked about this. I know the, the podcast, every single podcast in the world is going to talk about this. But what do you think? What do you think about the player? What do you think about the deal? So he- here's what I will say. Um, I, I know that the Orioles were linked to a lot of big names. You know, um, Verlander being mm-hmm. first and foremost among them. I didn't think that to be a credible possibility. Did did they have? Do you believe it was to share a like where the name is the Orioles are out there as a name just to say we should throw them out there because it makes sense for them? No, I I think that the Orioles probably asked about Verlander. Okay, that the, the teams got involved in discussions, and one of two things happened: either Verlander said, "Look, guys, I've been in this way too long. I'm either going to stay where I am or I'm going to go back home." Right? Detroit not being an option. Right. I'm talking about Houston. Right. I find it very unlikely that Verlander would have said, I'm going to add another stop sure. to my Hall of Fame career in Baltimore. Now, but Jake, he's got a house in Virginia, and Virginia is <laughs> just a hop, skip, and jump away. That from does, Baltimore. that does feel to share esque. <laughs> but I, I didn't really think that that was going to happen. Did, did the Orioles have the, the bullets in the gun to make that trade happen? Sure. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that. Now you get a guy like Justin Verlander, and of course you get a Verlander esque pitcher. Yeah, Verlander esque pitcher, but I'm not sure that I would have loved the deal mm-hmm. uh, because it would have cost a lot. It would have cost a lot. Sure, I mean if you take a look at let's go to Scherzer and Verlander really quickly. You're, you know your your 40 year old prospects that sure. you're basically getting <laughs> um, into the organization. Um, you know both deals came back from the Mets, where the Mets basically paid the other organizations to take them on in repayment for you know, some top 40 prospects. So, I mean, you're in essence looking that you're trading away a Colton Kowser or a Kerstead uh, mm-hmm. as part of that deal. Um, that, 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 those are the names that are probably thrown out. Um, I'm saying like, you know, you're going to have to trade us this if you, in essence, want to make this deal. And by the way, we'll pay off some of the money on that basis. Um, and again, you, I, put a, I put a Twitter poll out there asking that question, like, would you be willing to trade Kerstad or Mayo at the trade deadline and the resounding, you know, majority basically said, no, we would not. We'd be willing to do that. Um, which, again, we'll get into, you know, in a few minutes or a few moments. Um, but, yeah, you're right. It would it would have taken a, 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 a definitely a top 100 prospect. There's no doubt and more than likely a top 50 prospect. Sure. I, I think when you look at a guy like Jack Flaherty, that deal makes sense for the Orioles. And, and here's why. Actually, I, th- I think Kyle Gibson said it best. It's a pretty good club. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty good club. And, you know, with respect to my undying Orioles pessimism 
after having survived the last several years, I don't think it's terribly smoke and mirrors. We have a serious problem with starting pitching, right? And that is creating another serious problem of middle relief. I think when you look at a guy like Jack Flaherty, he fits the profile of what the Orioles need. A not sexy guy at the back end of the rotation to eat up innings in a competent fashion. Right now, he is a 1.5 war player, having pitched 109 innings. Now, 109 innings is nothing to sneeze at, but this guy threw almost 200 in 2019 before you know the crazy times happened. Yeah. Is he going to be a lights-out starter? No. Is he going to be a guy that can give you five plus six innings most times? Yes. Is that good enough to be the fifth starter on a great Orioles club? I would say yes. And what would we give up for him? We got we gave up uh, Cesar Preto, who's, what, five times blocked? And we gave up Drew Rahm, who, with respect to the guy, was not going to be an answer for the Orioles. Yeah. I, I say that's a no-cost gain. Lo- low, low, uh, low ceiling add, but it raises the floor of the rotation. So, I mean, I, I do agree. I don't think Jack Flaherty is a bad pitcher. I will preface that. I would say, you know, when I look at him, I agree that he is a not sexy pickup. Um, and I would put him as a Kyle Gibson kind of pickup is the best way to describe it. I think the question has to be raised. If this was at the very beginning of the season, I think we'd be all like, awesome. Great trade. Mm-hmm. Makes total sense. Um, I think you know, in August, when you're the number one team in the American League, I think you have to say to yourself, is this enough? And I completely understand what you're saying. It's the standpoint of like, and I've heard this from a lot of folks. Hey, the team is, you know, number one in the American League. They've obviously got a lot of stuff on that basis. Um, and, you know, more than likely, they're going to do pretty well on that basis. And let's not mess with a good thing. But shouldn't we stack the deck? Shouldn't we get a little greedy and say, hey, yes, this is a great team, but can't we make it a little bit better? Can't we, in essence, say, hey, we're not playing for the regular season because I think Jack Clarity is actually a really great addition to a team for a regular season run. But we want to, in essence, bring in star power specifically for an October run. Yeah, your, your question is, what does Jack Flaherty do for us in a five-game series? And a seven-game series. I, I'd say even more of a seven-game series. And the reason I bring this up is, you know, in a, in a five-game series, I think you can, in essence, go with three pitchers pretty easily with, you know, the, the off days and stuff like that and, and make it work. I think in a seven-game series, I'm not saying it's impossible. I think it's more difficult. But we've certainly seen rotations use only three pitchers mm-hmm. in a seven-game series. But more than likely, it's been a situation where it's a Cy Young runner coming back for, you know, game one, four, and seven. And I certainly don't think the Orioles have, you know, a Cy Young award winner on this basis or this team. Um, nor do I know if the Orioles would have traded someone on that basis to basically say, hey, they're going to be your game one, four or seven pitchers um, in a seven game series. But again, you know, I come back to the standpoint and there was a, a comment specifically made on Fangraphs about this. And I think it's a really good one. Um, I think Elias and the regime is a great general managing organization. I don't think we can critique what has been done. You take a look at how we've done from a player development standpoint, from a draft standpoint, how we progress certain talent, and it certainly looks like the future is bright. However, 
if we look at other organizations that are extremely well run, and I'm going to point to the Dodgers organization, the Dodgers organization has been able to, in essence, grow the farm system, been able to do player development and pivot when necessary to pick up the necessary pieces to propel them deep into the playoffs. Now, that doesn't mean they win every year, but they perennially put themselves in a position where they're going to potentially be in the NLCS. And I think that's what you have to be doing when you come to the trade deadline is saying, what do I have as commodity? What can I trade from in order to guarantee me to get to that seven game series um, in the ALCS or potentially get to the, get to the World Series um, and then have the faith that you're going to be able to rebuild from that depth that you just traded from based off the recent draft class or based off of international free agent signings that you've done as more recently. So I look at it as a situation where, you know, I, 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 I don't think it's a bad move, but I would say that it feels like a move once again, questioning when are the Orioles finally going to push their chips in and say, we're committed to basically making a significant run. And that could come in various fashions. It could have come at the trade deadline it could come with a free agent signing like we were cl- clamoring for, you know, this all season liftoff. It could come to the aspect of just saying we're locking up Gunner and Adley to long-term contracts. But once again, at this trade deadline, the Orioles organization did nothing to basically say, hey, we are willing both as an ownership group and a general managing group to say, we think we have something here. And we're going to push a few chips in to basically show that we're serious. I agree that if there was a Dan Duquette, the torpedoes deal to be made, that the Orioles balked from it. I I, I agree. But I I also wonder. And I don't know. I would agree with you. I don't know if they balked. I think it's a situation of like, I do think they were engaged in talks. I just don't know if they said to themselves, let's do it. Let's get crazy. Yes, it's an overpay slightly. But we're going to do it in order to really have this fan base go absolutely insane. And again, you talked about clubhouse chemistry. I agree with Gibson completely. Great team. But if Verlander walks into that clubhouse, that clubhouse goes nuts. Like they would literally be like, holy cow. This fan base goes nuts. We've got Verlander in the clubhouse. Like this team, we're not playing just to get to October. We're now playing for a World Series. And I think they still think that. But it's a completely different paradigm shift if that happens. Yeah, I mean, it's legitimacy. Yeah. It adds instant legitimacy. Uh, I agree. It would have been incredibly fun to get Verlander. I, I think he's a great pitcher. Um, is there anybody else that was bandied about that you were really excited about? Um, not super much. I mean, I think there, the, the conversation that I was extremely interested in was could the Orioles and the Mariners come to an agreement um, for a bunch of their young pitchers um, to basically trade them? And it never caught steam, but I was kind of hoping it was going to catch steam. And I think it's something to still watch for. I mean, those are pitchers that are not rentals. They've got them for two to three more years. I think that's going to be one that we're going to want to keep an eye on in the offseason because I think that's something that could happen in the offseason. But that was probably the only one that I was looking at. It's like I would have really loved to have gone out and gotten someone like Seawald or Robertson in the bullpen. Um, but from a starting pitching standpoint, I wasn't huge on Edward Rodriguez. I wasn't really huge on anybody else. I wasn't big on him in 2014 either, yeah. but that's a different story. 
I think, you know, I, you know, for me, it was going to be, I wanted a really good bullpen arm. Seawall was the person I wanted personally. Um, and then I wanted, you know, if I really want to make an impact, I wanted someone that had postseason experience. Verlander was the guy in my mind. Like if Verlander's available, honestly, I would probably have traded Kowser or Mayo, like, and had them pay it down. Um, and especially if I can get Verlander for this year and next year, I'm willing to try it out. I mean, one of five prospects makes it to the majors and actually does well. So there's a lot of people that are saying, well, Kerstad's going to be a perennial all-star. And I'm like, it's possible. But again, it's the question of like, how many all-stars are you going to have? Is Adley going to be an all-star? Gunner going to be an all-star? Mayo going to be an all-star? Westberg going to be an all-star? Kerstad going to be an all-star? It just, it doesn't make sense. Yes. Like, yes. They're all going to be all-stars. They're all going to sign here forever. Everything will be great in Birdland forever and ever and ever. Yeah. Now, who's pitching? Question mark, question mark, question mark. But for Verlander, forever. But again, I think it's the standpoint of you've got all this collateral. You've got all these assets. I still think, you know, trading from those assets and in essence rebuilding the organization, even if the club falls from the number one farm system to the number six farm system, I don't think that's a major drop off, especially with Jackson Holiday potentially coming up next year. Uh, I, I just I don't think it's that big of a deal. I am surprised that they did not add a uh, bullpen arm. I, I really am. Not Fuji. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But I'm surprised they didn't add another bullpen arm. But I, I will say that um, I would give the trade deadline a C minus. That's the number. That's the grade I give it to. I would give it a C minus where it's the standpoint of like, yes, you turn in your work. But it's not great is the best way to put it. So you don't fail, but it's it's not great. But, yeah, I mean, uh, the Orioles are certainly hoping, coming back to that bullpen standpoint, that folks like Means or D.L. Hall, who, again, has returned to AAA Norfolk after we called him out for being on a milk carton last week. <laughs> um, and even, you know, Tyler Wells, who, again, um, you know, yeah. got option to buoy, but in reality is going to be bouncing between Bowie and Bel Air. So again, Jake, if we run into him in Bel Air, we've got to grab a snapshot. Um, I think that's who they're hoping for. I think they're hoping that those three guys in some form are going to form a part of their seventh, eighth and ninth inning here, here. All right, well let's round first base. Let's head to second. And at second base, I want to discuss the leadoff spot. Yeah. Adley Rutschman has been moved to the leadoff spot. And so Scotty, I ask you, do you like this move? I like it actually. Um, I don't. I don't know how you feel about it, but it, it kind of makes sense to me. Of like, um, if you've got somebody who gets on base a bunch, why not do it? And again, I, I, I wore a shirt specifically for this topic tonight. I'll turn around my back, Jake, and point to him. But I'm wearing a Nick Markakis jersey tonight, and I think you know Markakis is kind of that you know Adley Rutschman type hitter. Again, gets on base, um, good eye, you know, is able to draw a lot of pitches in at bats so that the batters down from him can in essence readjust. Um, I think it makes a ton of sense to me. Well, let's dive into the numbers in an incredibly, incredibly small sample size. Because isn't that what we do here? We do. We make big assumptions over small sample sizes. Adley Rutschman, while batting first in the order, has a 159 run, uh, weighted runs created plus. 59. That seems pretty good. And that is the highest of anywhere else. Now, in the second hole, he's he's got a 124. That seems pretty good as well. But I would like to point out that here in 2023, while batting ninth, mm-hmm. Adley Rutschman has a two way to runs created plus. So I feel like 
outperforming Jorge Mateo. Anyway, um, yeah, no, I think it. I think it's a solid move. But I also look at you know the lineup construction, and I say there is so much good there mm-hmm. that it's kind of nice for Adley to be in a position where he doesn't have to necessarily produce, mm-hmm. uh, and he can be part of the machine. Yeah. What I've seen from this lineup while he's been in the lineup, uh, at the top of the lineup rather, is that we just turn it over. Correct. Right. It's it's trouble. Yeah. It is a bothersome lineup, and I Pesky. love that. I Pesky. love that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. And I, again, I still really like Gunner in the two spot. I know that Mountcastle's played a few games recently in the two spot, which again, I really can't critique whatsoever. Ride again, the hot hand. Ride the hot hand. Exactly. Um, but, you know, outside of hot streaks and stuff like that, I mean, I do really like Adley at number one, Gunner at number two. It makes a ton of sense to me. Um, and I, I think they can flip flop. I think, don't think it's a huge deal. Um, but I like Adley to be a table setter. Um, and I like how much he takes his pitches because I've talked about this before. If you can have your first batter come up there and take seven, eight, ten pitches, it sets up so much more for the rest of the game. It sounds ridiculous, but he has professional at-bats every time. Yeah. Right? And he's a switch hitter. He's got pop. He, he he's, not a, you know, he's not an overly fast guy, but you know, he hits for extra bases. He can set the table. Yeah. I will say, and I've got, if we're going to talk about Adley briefly, I thought the game... Um, I guess it was Friday's game. Yeah. Right. But it was the game with Severino. Um, I thought it was so interesting for Adley to come up there and be first pitch swinging against Severino. And it happened. Adley is almost always taking the first pitch. And when he slapped the ball on the first pitch, I'm like, whoa, like, what is that? Like, Adley never does that. And it was very interesting to see the Orioles, in essence, be extremely aggressive um, in that first inning, and it paid dividends off getting seven runs. Um, but yeah, just really interesting on that basis, too. So I like to keep seeing Alley do some leadoff spot standpoints until potentially Mullins gets back. Um, and even then, it might be interesting to see, like, Mullins, like, will eventually work you back up into the leadoff spot. Um, I think I'd keep Alley there for a while, is the best way to put it. Yeah. All right, let's head over to third base. And at third base, I want to talk about meaningful games. In July. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe August. But we just talked about July being such a great month. All of those teams being over 500. Yep. But something that, uh, a drum you have been beating appropriately this season is the season series. Win season series, especially with tiebreakers. And and how big that is, especially in the new look of the the wildcard races. And so let's look at, at some of the series that we have played in this past month. Hang on a sec. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's still a can. Uh, Tampa. We played a great series in Tampa. Won three out of four games. We talked about it last week. But the Orioles would have to get swept to they lose to that. Swept. At yeah. home. At to home. lose that se- season yes. series. So you got to win one game in a four-game series. So, again, you know. Feel good about that. Feel good about that. Um, it's not a guarantee. But you got to feel pretty good that the Orioles are going to scrape by with one game in that, in that, in that four-game series. The Orioles played a home series against the Yankees with two games on national television and won the, won the series yep. and the season series. Correct. Yeah, they went seven and six for the season. Um, and again, going into that Sunday game, you know, you're looking at it and saying, well, if they lose here, it's not a disaster. 
But it would be really nice just to have that tiebreaker against the Yankees. Look, and and I know they're a last place team and may they forever be, but it's the type of thing where I never write them off. You never know. You never know. Um, I, I will want to see them lose until the last game of the season because there's just no... There is no uh, limit to how, you know, and you used the word pesky earlier, right. but they, they can be, yeah. right? Uh, you look at, at Toronto. Um, the Orioles lost today on the, the 2nd of August, which means that they have split the particular, they've at least split the particular series that they're in right now. But we've already won the yeah, season they're, series. They're, they're up Toronto. seven to two now in this series. So, uh, again, there's, there's four games left. They've got the one tomorrow and on Thursday. Uh, with Jack Flaherty actually starting, and then they've got three later on this month against the Jays. But the Orioles have the tiebreaker now against the Jays, which again, you know, coming into this series, you know, the the Jays were I think five and a half games back. So again, a really bad series, and the Jays are right in it for the American League East. Um, and you know, best case they get back to that five and a half game mark. They're currently sitting I think six and a half games back at this moment. Um, so, yeah, we'll see what happens with Toronto. But, again, winning that season series means that you're effectively one game up on all those teams, um, both in terms of uh, the AL East division, but also a wild card seating as well going forward. Yeah, and and listen, I want the Orioles to win this, the division at this oh, yeah. point. I mean, it, that is absolutely something that is is within their grasp. But at the very least, sure, you know, it's a matter of the wild card. Yeah, I, I I agree with that aspect. You're you're setting yourself up for you want home games, especially during that wild card series, because again, you're not playing five games; you're playing three games at home. Um, so I think it's a really important basis of if you're a wild card team, you want to have as many tiebreakers as possible, so that you end up hosting at home. And if we look at the other teams in wild card contention, we've played zero games with Houston. Yep, uh, which sounds Verlander esque. Um, so we'll see what happens there. The Orioles are, have split the season series so far, three and three with the Boston Red Sox. I hope that's not significant, yep. but we, you know, we've got another, uh, we've got another couple of series we've got with with them. Seven point. games against the Red Sox for Woof. the rest of the season. Woof. Uh, the Orioles are two and one against Seattle, so they'll have more games there. They are uh, two and two against the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, um, and uh, three and three against Texas the Orioles are four and two against Minnesota. So I will say, you know, at least holding their own, if not owning the season series against those other teams and playoff contention. I I agree. I mean, the only one that, you know, is particularly bothersome to me. And I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast is the Texas one. Texas is equal with the Orioles, the Texas Rangers and the Orioles are not playing anymore. And the next tiebreaker past head to head is intradivisional. Um, so the Orioles would look mm-hmm. at their AL East record and the Rangers would look at their AL West record. So again, I, I, I think you know the Orioles know this is the best way to describe it. It just makes those ALS games even more important as it relates to saying, hey, we want the best winning percentage we have in the division um, so that if we end up in a tie with the Rangers, maybe for that first and second seed, we want that number one seed um, going forward through the rest of the playoffs. How crazy is it that we are having a discussion about seeding? How crazy is it that we're talking about the Orioles and how they've gone toe-to-toe with the best teams in baseball? Just, well, let's, just let's, let's call it out like it is. It's the standpoint of, again, they've played some really 
you know, big games, meaningful series, just like we talked about. And they have been extremely consistent. And, you know, coming back to this, to the talk we have in the trade for trade standpoint, they're, they're a good team. There's no doubt about it. You look at their run differential. It is right there on track with kind of the Dodgers at this given time. Um, it's not quite as good as the Rays. It's not quite as good as the Rangers. Um, but this is a good team. This is a, this is a, in my opinion, a top five team in Major League Baseball regardless. All right, Kyle Gibson. All right. Yeah. So if we look ahead to August and some of the meaningful games. Sure. We've got the remainder of the Blue Jays series. Yep. Right? Which is is one one game. We've got games against Houston. Mm-hmm. We've got games against Seattle. We've got uh, another series with the Blue Jays. Uh, and to be honest with you, the rest of the, the matchups don't really scare me. We've got, I mean, we do have the Padres. We've got the Athletics. Uh, we've got the Rockies and we've got the White Sox. Again, that's just uh, taking us through August. I think the Orioles have uh, some some series where they can take a breather. Yeah. Also, some series that will be a test for them. Again, I love the I love the spot that they're in. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think Alex Fast posted this specifically looking at the trade deadline, but I think he said the Orioles actually had the easiest schedule for the remainder of the season in the AL East. Um, it's about time. So, I mean, I think, you know, you look at the August schedule and there's actually a lot of teams in there that are starting to get below 500. And it's the same way also um, in September as well. So I'm not saying the Orioles are, at, you know, in, in the clear. Is mm-hmm. what They've mm-hmm. got a lot of really competitive series coming up um, through August and September. However, I do think that the Orioles are maybe out of their juggernaut phase. I specifically talked about this of like, Coming off of the All-Star break, the Orioles went through a grueling stretch there of series upon series upon series with also no off days. Um, so again, you get, I think, three off days in August, which is really nice. Um, and I think you get like two or three again in September as well. So I think the Orioles have some really good momentum if you're just looking at it from a schedule standpoint going through August and September. So I think it's like other people said, the Orioles control their destiny at this point. Um, if they win out, basically, they're good is the best way to describe it. Um, we'll see what happens. Let me take your temperature here. Are you still experiencing the Orioles fan, the other shoe is about to fall emotions? No, I'm not suffering that from a playoff standpoint. Um, I'm like, even if the Orioles go on a skid, like a, you know, I don't expect it to be a bad standpoint on that standpoint. So I'm like, okay, well, the Orioles are still in a really good position from a playoff standpoint. I still question the division, honestly. Like, I still feel like the Rays are going to get a bunch of people back and they're going to go on a hot streak and the Orioles are going to do okay, but just not quite good enough. Um, so the division is still, and shoot, it could still be the Ray or the Blue Jays. I don't think so anymore. Like, I think if they were to come into this series and won three out of four, I feel like that's the case. But again, we also saw this series. Bobochet's going to be out for six weeks. It looks like that's a huge loss for them. Um, so I, I think for the East from a division standpoint, it's the Rays, it's the Orioles. It's going to be a bloodbath. That four game series in September, it's going to be rough. It's going to be extremely rough. Scott, I hate I hate to correct you. Yeah, you're so often right, but in you're, this case I'm wrong. You're you're so often articulate, uh, but in this case, Scott, look, look, 
when it comes to the AL East, yeah. it's the Orioles, it's the Rays. Yeah. It's going to be a birdbath. It's going to be a birdbath. It's true. It's true. Um, all right. Well, why don't we go ahead into home plate? And um, well, not every team is doing so well. And we saw that at the trade deadline where a lot of folks had traded away folks. We talked about Scherzer and Verlander being traded from the Mets. Um, and there was a recent article that came out today on The Athletic coming from Steve Cohen um, and, you know, discussing, you know, where it stands and, you know, whether or not they were going to compete in 2024 and everything like that. And the indication that was made to folks like Scherzer and Verlander is like, yeah, well, we're going to kind of retool. We're probably not going to go out and get a bunch of free agents for 2024. We're really looking more like 2025 or 2026. So anyway, uh, the quote comes as follows, um, you know, from The Athletic. As for falling short of expectations to win a, ring, win a ring, don't worry. Cohen says the team will have an award ceremony of their own at Jim GM Billy Epler's favorite New York pizza restaurant. Quote, every single player on this team is going to get a trophy in October, acknowledging the personal growth we've all made on this journey together. It's not about being a World Series baseball player. It's about being a World Series human being. That is incredible. Scott, you made me aware of this article, and I did not believe you. Mm-hmm. I thought that you were pulling my leg. I thought that you were taking me on a journey of our own. And I can't, I can't tell if I love this or think this is incredibly pathetic. Uh, and while I work those feelings out yep. in my own, uh, I will say that we we try to do this, Scott, on a regular basis. You and I, every year, give out trophies because we know that it's not about being World Series champions. It's about being Bevy Award winners. Isn't this really what we do? This is classic Bevy Awards. Isn't isn't uh, Steve Cohen here talking about the fifth Beatle Award? I, I believe he is. But, you know, in, in classic standpoint, in order to uh, build up um, the, the world-class human beings that we have, I'm sorry, World Series human beings that we have on the Baltimore Orioles, we thought we would give some participation trophies out to some select individuals. So, Jake, I'll let you kind of take it out um, at this given time. I mean, I think when we talk about what it means to be a World Series human being, you look no further than one of the key leaders of our club, and that is Adley Rutschman. Mm-hmm. And Adley Rutschman issues the World Series of hugs. Mm. You get an Adley hug, and you you feel like a winner for the rest of your life. And so for his contributions uh, to the feelings of us all, because really we all experience this, yep. uh, the best hug trophy goes to... Adley Rutschman. Yeah. Jake, you know, if we look at Steve Cohen, and Steve Cohen is a CEO at heart. He loves this aspect of, in essence, you know, building up the workplace. And mm-hmm. this is mm-hmm. uh, looks like a traditional workplace standpoint to basically build morale. And within a workplace, you know, there needs to be individuals that you can turn to when things get desperate, when things get dark, when you just don't know how to approach a given situation. And sometimes you just need, like, a good old big brother in the office place. Uh, so this award is going to be my Big Brother Award. It's going to go to Mi Hermano, Jorge Mateo. <laughs> I will say that as awards for Jorge Mateo go, that is so much better than I expected. 
All right. Um, here, here's the deal. Uh, we have so many contestants for this particular award. There is so much good flow on this team. Mm-hmm. We, we, we had become at some point a hair team. And I got to be honest with you. It was tough, but we've got to go with Dean Kramer, particularly because he, I think he's the only one that hasn't uh, cut those, those luscious locks off of this bo- uh, point. So Dean Kramer is going to get my best flow trophy for 2023. You know what? Forget that. I'm going to give it to him for 23, 24, and we're going to go back in time and give it to him for 2022 as well. Sometimes, Jake, in the workplace, you've got to put your whole body into it. You really, in essence, have to, you know, put your body on the line and, in essence, you know, make it happen. HR has actually told me that's not the case. You're not allowed to put your body on somebody, but you're allowed to put your body into a given task. Uh, so this next award is going to be put your body into it, uh, and it's going to go to James McCann for multiple instances of putting his body into it during a bunt um, in order to advance a runner this season. Okay. All right. Uh, we, we mentioned him uh, earlier in the, the uh, podcast, and that is the Orioles translator Q. Uh, Brandon Quinnis is, of course, who we're talking about here. And I've, I've got to say, he... He has really uh, been a part of our experience of this team. Some of the great personalities on this team have been guys who uh, probably speak English better than we realize, but you know are, are maybe not as confident in front of the press, et cetera, et cetera. But he brings that out in these guys. And so he, he gets my thank you for being a friend uh, trophy for 2023 because the, the sheer joy – and relationship between him and some of the players that he translates for uh, is is clear, and I feel like he's become one of us. You mm-hmm. know, he's he's part of the club as much as the players, especially in those happy moments when we're enjoying post game pressers. Yeah, Jake, safety is a paramount aspect in the workplace, um, and we are in a particularly dangerous time in this moment. Um, it's summertime; heat exhaustion is running rampant through the, in generally the whole world at this given moment. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and give my EHSS, my safety award, um, to Kyle Gibson for his uh, instruction on proper water techniques and checking on the sprinkler systems in many instances. That is the longest introduction <laughs> for Dong Bong Award. <laughs> there's, there's no other way that you could have made Dong Bong a longer what nope nope i'm gonna leave that right there leave it there i just used the word intro yep let's talk about player intros we have uh, in in this year's bevies there was the discussion of of uh walk-up songs but when you talk about best intros in orioles history i will forever be partial to jim johnson coming into the pretender that's a moment that i i don't think uh can possibly be replaced in in my own personal fan experience. But it's impossible to not be taken in by the spectacle and the the sheer excitement of watching Felix Batista come in with his intro, whether it be the lights, whether it be the music, whether it be the Baltimore reference. Love it all. Best intro goes to Felix Batista. Jake, whenever you're a new employee in the workplace, it's always tough to replace a former employee. Um, you know, you're feeling big shoes, as it were. Um, but, you know, some employees come into the workplace and they really step into it and really try to embrace 
you know, that previous personality that was in the in the ballpark. Um, so, Jake, this next award is going to be called the You're Not Rugged, But You're Okay With Us. And it's going to go to Adam Frazier. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> Uh, my, my last participation trophy that I would like to issue to the 2023 Baltimore Orioles is the in your face, eat some crow trophy. And that is a player that has made me look incredibly foolish. And that is Grayson Rodriguez, Mm. who has really turned it around the second half. Now, obviously, you know, he was part of a losing effort here tonight, but I wasn't sure that he would be able to do the things that he's done upon his return to the major league level, which makes me not only eat crow, but every time it happens, it's delightfully thrust in my face. So the in your face, eat crow trophy directly to Grayson Rodriguez. Folks, what did we miss out on? Who would you give a participation trophy to on the Baltimore Orioles um, at the end of October? Reach out to us at BirdseyeViewBL and let us know what awards we missed and who to be giving out them to game balls and orange slices. That's what we do. What the Baltimore Orioles do do here in Baltimore. Um, all right. Well with that, let's go ahead over to fantasy boss and see who won this past week. can't believe it i can't believe it dongs 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 do you you remember the dong slam poetry yep we might have to update that dongs 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 there there are so many dongs there's so many old outdated references there we may have to update the dong slam poetry for 2023 oh lord um I was trending in such the right direction. Yes, you had one, 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 one in a row, <laughs> uh, and and things things have have turned about for me. Yes. Uh, our category last week was, as you mentioned, dongs. Dongs. Um, I selected. What do you think your children are thinking right now? I have no idea. <laughs> I selected Ryan O'Hearn. All right. Who, um, just as for the record, in the last seven days. Zero dongs. Okay. Zero. That's not his fault. <laughs> it's not my fault. You selected Anthony Santander, who, for the record, two dongs. And, and a grand dong at that, too. And, and, and at, I'm not a mathematician. Mm-hmm. It's not my strong suit, but I'm pretty sure that two is greater than zero. Two is greater than zero. So I go up eight to two here. <sighs> okay. so uh, It's getting because, serious now. It is getting serious. Because I lost... Uh, it is now time for us to select a new category. Mm. Earlier in the show, you talked about Jack Flaherty's first appearance as a Baltimore Yeah, Warrior. tomorrow, Thursday, 3 o'clock game, I think it is, or something like that. So, Okay. Scotty, this is an over-under. Okay. And I ask you. Mm. Jack Flaherty is going to pitch for the Baltimore Orioles for the first time as a starting pitcher as the the 
signature move, yep. the Orioles trade deadline as a first place team yep. on its way to the 2023 World Series. And so the over under mm-hmm. for innings pitched. Okay. I'm going to set at six innings. Uh, I'm going to go over. You're going to take the over. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to take the push. You're going to take the push. You're going to go exactly at six innings. Six on the dot. Okay. Uh, I feel pretty good about this, and I'll tell you why. Um, so we, we were just talking about Grayson Rodriguez, um, who, uh, again, couldn't quite get through six innings, so they had to bring in you know relief pitchers tonight in order to kind of fill the gap. Um, so they've got Cano and they've got Batista for tomorrow, which is great. Um, but they're not going to want to use Batista for super long because they did that earlier in the series. So I feel like Brandon Hyde, even in a worst case scenario, is one is going to want to push Flaherty to go as deep as possible. So oh. I'm okay with this. Okay. Okay. Scott, it's eight two. Mm-hmm. I'm a desperate man. We doing wild cards again? It's time for some fantasy boss wild cards. Okay. These are not bound by the week. These are clicks whenever they happen. Yep. So, Scotty, my first wild card of the 2023 season, it's a Hail Mary. Okay. The Orioles have been turning to Felix Bautista in the ninth. Yep. When he's been unavailable, Mm -hmm. the Orioles have been turning to Yenier Cano in the ninth. Yep. These two gentlemen have collected saves for the Baltimore Orioles. Yes. Outside of these two gentlemen. Yep. Who is the Baltimore Oriole who will collect the next save? All right, so I've, I've got a name. I'm going to go with CNL Perez. Oh, that is a great name. Can I tell you who I think it's going to be? Are you going to go with Fujinama? I'm not. Okay, who are you going with? Joey Crable. Joey Crable. That's interesting. It's interesting. It'd be interesting to see if the Orioles have to pull a reliever up there. Who gets designated for assignment? Who gets optioned on that basis? Um, but two kind of out there picks in Crable and CNL Perez. Um, yeah, I don't, I, like I said, Fujinama is an interesting one to me because again, he's certainly got the stuff for it, but it seems like the Orioles are using him, trying to use him more as a multi inning reliever, um, which is why I did not go with him. So we will see if one of those click uh, for the next save that is not Yanir Cano or Felix Batista. I can't leave it there. Okay. So you need more help. I need points. Yes. And so for my second wild card of the 2023 season, we have seen some really great performances from the Baltimore Orioles. But it's crazy. We just don't seem to blow that many teams out. Mm-hmm. Right? But we have occasionally. Yeah. Like we, last night, 13 like, to 3. Well, no, I was going to say we've occasionally been on the oh, other well, side. Oh, the receiving side. Yes. The other side Absolutely. Of that. And when we are blown out, we often get to one of my favorite pieces of baseball. Yeah, position pitchers. Position player pitchers. We have a clear designated position player pitcher, Mm -hmm. which is Ryan McKenna. Ryan McKenna. Ryan McKenna, back with the club. Yep. But let's just say we can't go to Ryan McKenna. My question to you is, the next Baltimore Orioles position player to appear as a pitcher other than Ryan McKenna in 2023 is Ramon Urias. Ooh, Ramon Urias. This is fascinating. 
That is a fascinating pick. My pick, of course, James McCann. James McCann is interesting to me. The only, I would have actually probably gone with James McCann, but here's the only reason why I did not go James McCann is I think Brandon Hyde would look at that and say, if Adley is behind a catcher and something were to happen, I don't want to lose both my catchers as part of that process. So I feel like any other manager wouldn't give a care in the world to that, but Brandon Hyde would be like, don't want to lose both my catchers, which is why I think Urias makes a lot of sense because I think he could get up there and throw a sidearm and be perfectly fine. Okay, so this is important. This week, our category over-under for innings pitched, you have gone with the over at six for Jack Flaherty. I have gone exactly with the push mm-hmm. at six, and then we've introduced some wild cards. Yep. Scotty, I hope that by the time we get together next week, we will have an up and down week and I'll be staring down an 8-5 wildcard-infused historic comeback. I really hope we don't see position balls. players pitching. Like, that would be really bad. Well, but it could be if they were up by 20, 20 runs. Zero chance they did. It'd be bringing in Crable, basically, at that point for a three-inning three, uh, three save. No. 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 Well, we'll see what happens. All right, well, with that, let's figure out who was good, who was bad, and who was ugly this past week. That's right. It's time again for the good, the bad, the ugly. Scotty, uh, I didn't do this. I didn't do it. It's not It's not shtick we're going to do today, but I, I'm going to warn you. I was tempted to go good, good, good this week. Mm. The Orioles are going good. Yep. And while we're talking about good, let's talk about Ryan Mountcastle. In 20 plate appearances this past week, ex- excluding tonight, in which he also performed well, a 235 weighted runs created plus with an absolutely even 10% K, uh, 10K percentage and uh, walk percentage. In the last 20 uh, plate appearances, he has a 400 BABIP. No Baltimore Oriole that I know deserves such a, a turn in, in fortunes. Again, I'm delighted to see him being used correctly and rising to the moment. Welcome back, Ryan Mountcastle. Yeah, I mean, um, I, my good is going to go to Kyle Gibson. You know, in the, in the past 14 days, um, three starts, uh, nine Ks per nine, two walks per nine, 3.0 ERA, 2.83 FIP. And again, he's going to be going deep into games. Um, so, again, I really think it's important. You know, Kyle Gibson, like we discussed with the with the Flaherty trade, is not a flashy pitcher. He's not going to be great, but he seems to really be really dependable and really consistent in most outings. Um so, yeah, I think Kyle Gibson deserves a little accolade um, every once in a while. So he gets my good for the week. My bad is going to go to Tyler Wells. What, Tyler Wells was optioned to the minor leagues. An option to Bowie, not Norfolk. I got to be honest. I think this is about nothing more than giving him a breather, yep. saving some some innings on the arms, and figuring out when the transition is going to be to bring him back as a reliever rather than a starter. But boy, howdy, as excited as I have been about Tyler Wells over this season, he was 
bad in his last couple of starts. No, I agree. I mean, I think it's it's, it's bad. Um, my bad is going to go to Colton Kowser, who, again, is just not doing great at the plate. Um, 083 average, 148 on base percentage, negative 28 weighted runs created plus. Um, and even on the season, um, not doing so great at an 098 average, 254 on base percentage. Look, he's struggling. It, it's as simple as that. And he's struggling at the worst time. I mean, with um, Mullins and Hayes both out. I mean, no, Mullins and uh, Hicks both out. Kowser has to pick it up, is the best way to put it. So I, he has only been in 63 plate appearances. You got to at least let this go out to 100 plate appearances. But eventually, you know, it's going to get to the point when, like, Mullins or Hicks comes back. You're going to have to look at it and be like, is Kowser ready for it? Yes or no? Um and you're going to have to make a move. Um, you know, right now I'd say keep playing him. Hope he catches lightning in a bottle. Um, but it's not something that you probably can make consistent for for, for, for much longer once once your, 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 your better players come back. Absolutely. You just in a nearly Freudian way mentioned Austin Hayes. Yeah. He was my bad last week. And he has evolved into my ugly yep. this week. Uh, Austin Hayes simply doing nothing for us at the plate. He had 24 plate appearances this week, which is just three off the team lead. And he did nothing, nothing, nothing with them. He has a negative 23 weighted runs created plus. Look, he's not even striking out that much. It's a 16.7 against a 12, uh, 12.5 walk rate. Uh, but a 118 BABIP a WOBA of 137. It's a woeful of 137. Mm -hmm. Austin Hayes just doing nothing at the plate and really hasn't done anything since the All-Star break. We talk on and on and on and on about what Austin Hayes can do in a full, healthy season. For a while, he looked great. He was an All-Star, for God's sake. And it's not that he's bringing us nothing. He obviously had a game-winning defensive play. But from an offensive standpoint... It has been absolutely ugly, and it was again this week. Yeah. My ugly for the week, it's going to go to the obvious one, which is the trade deadline. The trade deadline was an ugly situation. I, I covered it earlier um, in the podcast. It's just not good on the basis of like, yeah, I'm glad that they went out and got a string pitcher and Flaherty, but you know, just so much more hope for what they were going to do, um, and they just left me, you know, We'll call it just, you know, looking and saying, yeah, he did something, but it isn't going to be enough. And we won't know if it was enough until we get to the end of October is the best way to describe it. Um, but just the whole situation, the anxiety, the animosity, the fighting between fans of like, should we keep our prospects? Shouldn't we keep our prospects? Everybody seemed on the edge is the best way to describe it for that whole period of time. Um, and it wasn't fun. It was not fun. And again, there was a lot of, you know, yelling screaming tantrums being thrown um and it's just an ugly situation so i'm glad it's done um but i do kind of think it's an ugly standpoint of you know i think we're going to look back at the trade deadline and say could we have done more sure i mean first and foremost from a trade deadline i hope we don't look back with regret but from a stand a fan standpoint I, i do wonder if this is like we're not good at this yet we don't we don't have the muscle memory of following good club through the through the trade deadline. And look, you know, before it was a matter of 
how much ugliness are we going to have to swallow Mm -hmm. as we get rid of the only things that are valuable in our club while we try to get better? And now it's a matter of how much better do we need to get and how much, how much, uh, you know, will we settle for, right? I hope we get better at this as the, as the seasons unfold, but yeah, yeah, pretty ugly. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's just in a, a, an ugly situation. Um, and you're absolutely right. It's, it's muscle memory, but even from a muscle memory standpoint, if we think back to the buckle of birds era, um, it, it's not like the buckle of birds era had great trade line, trade deadline thing outside of Andrew Miller. But I think back to like folks getting like Alejandro de Aza, for example, and stuff like that. So outside of the Andrew Miller trade, not much of anything. You know, it's funny. I have so few memories of de Aza other than clinch miss of itself. Of yeah, course. It's funny. Yeah. But I think, Again, I think that's going to be the ugly is we'll look back at the end of this year and say, what could have been? No, no, no. I, I choose to think that we're going to look back at the deadline uh, and while we're sweeping up the ticker, ticker tape from the parade and say, what a great job. I, I think we'll look back and say, what could have been? And you would say to yourself, hey, we could have traded away one of our big prospects and now we're even better at that ticker tape parade. Or we could go the negative route, which Bird's Eye View typically does. Uh, sorry, I, I let me switch off my uh, orange. Your Jim Hunter glasses, glasses, yeah, and uh, and put on the regular ones. Ah, yeah, you, you are correct. You are correct, sir. All right. Uh, well, with that, why don't we go ahead and blow the save uh, and and end this thing. Scott, if we're going to close the show in disappointing fashion, as usual, yep. let's get bummed out. Mm-hmm. News came across uh, just the other day that Trey Mancini was released by the Cubs. It is so disheartening yep. to see a guy who is so well-respected for being a World Series human yep. and someone who is so good for the Orioles struggle so mightily elsewhere. And I can only hope that he responds to this adversity mm-hmm. in the way that he responded to his health adversity and comes back and makes the Cubs look like idiots. Uh, I hope, I hope, I hope for him. Uh, I think Trey is probably done, honestly, at this point. Um, I hate to say that, but, you know, you look at his age. Um, and again, we talked about this last year when the Orioles got rid of him. It's like it's you're getting to that point where it's time to start moving on from Trey. And I think the Orioles probably made the right move is the best way to describe it. Um, however, this is my however. Um, do you need these uh, Jim Hunter glasses? Yes, I do. <laughs> um, I think this is an opportunity. Um, I think this is an opportunity where if Trey doesn't get picked up in the near future, um, I think Trey's going to have to have a serious conversation of like, OK, what's going on? What's next? Um, if Trey's not picked up um, and he's you know not going to in essence be an organization, I think it'd be great if the Orioles offer him a role and basically say, hey, we want you to come back um, for the rest of the season and potentially even next year, be a community ambassador, be there in the dugout with the team, um, and then in essence, you know, serve as you know an auxiliary hitting coach or something like that on that basis. I think it makes a ton of sense. Can you think about the fan reaction? 
if the Orioles were to hire Trey Mancini back as just a, you know, an assistant to the hitting coach or anything like that on that basis and just have him be in the dugout during September, during October on that basis. I don't care what he does. Yeah. To get him back in the organization as, you know, the keeper of the tomatoes in yeah. center field, I think would be uh, tremendous. I, I've often wondered, like, what's next for Trey yeah. in his career. I, I'm curious if he would be interested in coaching, maybe not even at the major league level. I mean, maybe he goes back to Notre Dame or something yeah. like that. But the other thing is that, you know, he's well connected to the media, Correct. both through his family and, and through his relationships uh, with folks here at the Orioles. Um, you know, we just saw Brad Brock Correct. in the in the broadcast booth. I can't think of a better ambassador, ambassador. for the Orioles brand Correct. in any regard than Trey Mancini. Yeah. So again, I, I come back and I say we've just passed the trade deadline. Um, you know, Trey Mancini is out there. I think Trey needs to figure out, you know, is any organization interested in him? But if no organization comes knocking, I would say the next 10 to 14 days, I think it would be really smart for the Orioles organization to give Trey a call and say, hey, we don't want you on the active roster, but we want to offer you a job to basically come into the Masson booth, be in the dugout on occasion with the guys, um, and in essence, you know, be a part of this organization as a community ambassador for the rest of the season. And then we'll figure something out in the offseason, whether or not you want to re-enter into baseball, or if we could potentially set up, you know, a gig for you, if that's something of interest to you. Join us on this ride and in some small way, finish what you started. Correct. Again, like I said, I think it'd be just a great story. I think it'd be a really nice, you know, it'd be a good closure is the best way to describe it for both Trey and the Orioles organization. That would make a successful trade deadline. It would. And that, that is our show. Remember, you can find this in our entire catalog of indispensable episodes of Bird's Eye View Baltimore. Bird's Eye View is available for download wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. Please remember to rate and review the show. We appreciate the feedback and encourages other people to listen for the first time. Come and get social with us. You can email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can find us on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, the ticks, the talks, threads. But the best way to get a hold of us is on X where we send X's at Bird's Eye View, B-A-M. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I will bid you all a fun adieu adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Try to avoid those cease and desist letters. And let's go, O's. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.